Well, hello and welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and joining me this week is William from the UK. Thanks for joining me, William. Hello. Thank you for having me back. Nice to be on on a, a week when I understand you have the new Magic Keyboard, so I can just watch you and envy you from afar. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. I, I do want to talk about it. Uh, you know, Andrew had all the comparison videos last week, and he did a great job on that. You know, it was out of stock, hard to get for a while. Like even if you order from Apple right now, it's a couple weeks out. I actually got mine from Best Buy and it came just in a couple days. If you are looking for one, Best Buy might be an option. Do you guys have Best Buy over there in the UK? No, we don't actually. Okay. And I'm not sure whether we're missing out or not. I hear mixed stories, but the prices are great. So. They do have some good sales. And again, sometimes, especially with Apple products, sometimes you can get it there and nowhere else, uh, you know, for the hmm. speed. But anyway, uh, also, there's a review for the iPhone SE that went up by Mike on the site. I would encourage you to check out that review. I was interested in it. I don't have one in hand, but William, you said you got one for your wife. I was curious what your and her thoughts were about it. Uh, she is ecstatic. Actually, she was hanging on to the original iPhone SE. And she had the weird thing that she works for a company that gives her uh, an iPhone 6. And she says they lock it down so much that nothing you like about an iPhone works on it. So she's resented this iPhone 6. She's held onto the SE, but it was old, it was falling apart, and she wasn't getting very much battery power. So I bought her this, and it's like she's forgotten her old phone instantly. It's just, uh, oh yeah, I used to have that one. Even the screen size, which she was worried about changing to, um, it just feels right to her, except for one thing. Actually, and I noticed Mike, uh, I think Mike's review is kind of the definitive one. It covers everything. But one thing I particularly noticed I haven't seen anywhere else, uh, Angela found that her iPhone SE, the new one, is ridiculously slippy. Um, she has really? a, an armchair and it fell off before I could get to it. And I put it on our couch where my iPhone 11 Pro was. And my 11 Pro stayed there all night. But the SE was getting very close to the end. <laughs> Wow. So she's okay. she's bought a, a case, a ten pound, eight dollar plastic case, to go around it, and now right. that's solved. So yeah, uh, utterly adores it. Is she? Did she want specifically Touch ID over Face ID? You know, what made you go with the SE over like a eleven? Well, we we actually talked about it quite a bit because I wanted her to have Face ID uh, with her work phone. Uh, the Touch ID thing on it occasionally fails, and we can't work mm -hmm. out why. So it's put her off Touch ID a little bit. But it was the combination of uh, the newness, the um, the speed, the performance. Right. The camera is great for what she uses it for. Uh, it just we would have been paying was it two hundred, three hundred pounds more just right. to get Face ID. And if we did, mm -hmm. that would have been getting it on the iPhone XR, um, and she would have missed out on the performance things. So uh, mm. I regret that she hasn't got it. I hope you know, we'll get one in the future. But for now, she likes it very much. So. That's great. So I actually upgraded my wife's phone from an 8 Plus, and I was wondering, do I go new SE or an 11? And uh, if you do a trade-in, I found out we actually were able to trade in the 8 Plus that she had for a $250 credit uh, towards the 11. Uh, so wow. that was, yeah, that was nice and unexpected. Yeah. So we did that trade-in, and she has the 11. It's interesting. She has always had Touch ID, 
and now with face ID and the case we got is a has a black rim around the edge so the phone looks exactly the same <laughs> whether it's right side up or upside down and so I probably need to get a different yes. case but but there's often times where she picks it up upside down and you know it's it's not unlocking but she likes it and you know I think the most important thing to note in Mike's review about the SE and the 11 you know it's the same A13 processor and that processor is doing so much work, especially on the camera and the photos, that it takes great images. And, you know, a lot of times the camera quality is a deciding factor on, you know, how new of an iPhone you should get. Because you really want to get, it's your, many people's main camera or only camera. And so you want to make sure you're getting great images. And from what it seems like, the iPhone SE, the new version, uh, takes great pictures. It just has one lens, but you can still do a portrait mode with it. And it can still capture a 4K video at 60 frames per second. Does a slow mo and all that. So it is a it's a great great option. I mean, I love my 11 Pro, and I bought it for the performance and for the cameras. In fact, actually, most of all, I think for the the fact that the selfie camera on it is 12 megapixels. So I shoot a lot of videos, and it means I can just run a teleprompter thing on the screen, film it, and know it's the highest quality I could get. Um, if it hadn't been for that, if I was buying now. I'd go for the SE, mm. I think. So such a good deal for what you get. Yeah, the value is incredible. So yeah, if you're looking at upgrading, maybe if it's not just for yourself, but maybe a parent or a friend or someone, then it's not really, you know, having the newest tech isn't really their thing and maybe they're already accustomed to Touch ID. The new iPhone SE is a great option. And we'll put a link in show notes to Mike's review of the iPhone SE. It's definitely extremely thorough and gives you a great idea. So definitely check that out. I just want to touch on the Magic Keyboard because I got it. In hand, right here. Yay! Excellent. You know, I, I won't rehash all the things that the reviews have said, you know, about the weight and all that kind of stuff. It does feel extremely sturdy. Um, I've found that having a trackpad attached to the iPad all the time, I do find myself actually using it more and kind of liking it, especially when it comes to text manipulation and input. And I'm learning and I've gotten used to some of the gestures. Pulling up the dock within an app is still a little weird, you know, because sometimes <laughs> yeah. if, if you drag it to the bottom of the screen too fast, you'll just go home. And so you kind of have to be careful how fast and how, like, where exactly you put the cursor for pulling up the dock within an app. But uh, it's been pretty useful, you know, three finger swipes to go home and switching between apps, again, manipulation. I do find myself reaching for the screen to scroll. And I really don't want to do that. I, I really like being able to scroll with two fingers on the trackpad and not have to reach up. So I'm trying to train myself on that. My biggest thing is I had the smart keyboard folio before and I didn't realize how often I would fold the keyboard behind the iPad, maybe while I'm walking somewhere or even standing just to do a couple things. Even if it's charging, just to kind of flip open the cover and see the battery level that it's at. Just quickly look at the screen and then close it back up again. And those kind of quick interactions and switching between like sitting at a desk and then getting up going somewhere, a little more difficult with the Magic Keyboard. Um, I find, you know, if you want to peek at the screen just to look at the battery level or, you know, look at a notification, the stiffness of that hinge, you kind of need two hands to do it. And, uh, you know, before I've been able to do it with one hand easily. So that's a little weird and again not being able to fold the keyboard behind at all and you kind of have to take it off the magic keyboard if you want to use it 
really all touch, you know, if I'm doing something with the Apple Pencil. Uh, it's a little different. So leaving the Magic Keyboard just sitting on a desk somewhere and you just kind of plop it on, you know, that might be really useful. And if you're really just using it sitting somewhere, typing a lot, you know, it's great for that. The keyboard feels good. Uh, it's taken me a little used to a different hand position from the Smart Keyboard Folio because the keys are kind of placed a little differently. So it's interesting. I, I don't know, honestly, if I'll keep it or return it. Again, I don't do a ton of writing on my iPad. Um, so I'm not sure how, you know, again, I edit the podcast, but I do that with a pencil. And so I'll be taking it out of the Magic Keyboard case to do that anyway. Um, and I also find the magnets, while strong, there have been a couple times when I go to reach for the iPad to, you know, close it up, bend the hinge a little bit. And the iPad does kind of come off easier than I expected it to. And I find myself having to kind of catch it and place it back on there when I didn't intend to take it off. So those are just some of my quick thoughts. I'm going to use it for another week or two and, and see how it feels. But uh, it's it's definitely interesting. And I'm, and I'm sure there are some people who really love it. And uh, other people who might just be just fine with a smart folio keyboard case, especially if you're not doing a ton of typing on it. So I don't know. Do you have any questions on it, William, or thoughts? Well, I'm wondering if I can help you out if you'd like to send it to me. Um, oh, is it? also, I think actually shipping is very difficult. It needs something sturdy in it to stop it bending, like an iPad. You could include oh, your iPad Pro as well. That'd, all be, over. that'd be yeah. Just yeah, I mean, it's easier. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't that what throw we it want? in an envelope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. No problem. Do you find you return stuff a lot? I, I, it seems to me that's quite an American thing. I, I believe we can do it here as well, but it tends not to be as well-known or well-used. Uh, do you get stuff and turn it back a lot? I don't tend to, for sure. There's been few products that I just, after a little while, just, just go return it. Um, I Before the 16-inch MacBook Pro came out, I actually did try a 15-inch. I just, for some reason at the, at the time, I really didn't like it, uh, you know, the keyboard. And also I found myself, I didn't wait for a customized thing from Apple. I kind of just got one that they had in the store. And so I wasn't super happy about the specs. And I thought, myself, you know, this is not a cheap purchase. You know, why do I want to live with something I'm not completely happy with, you know, for a long time. And so I actually did return that. And I think, um, just got a stopgap kind of computer uh, macbook air just so i had a mac besides my imac um and, until the 16 inch came back so i did it that once uh but most of the time especially with apple products i'm usually extremely happy with them and and uh, don't return them so uh, not often but uh you know having the smart keyboard folio already hmm. and if i don't do a ton of typing on the ipad i'm not sure how valuable it is for me personally um as opposed to another people, someone else who might love it, including me. Yes, I'll, I'll love yeah, it for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now, do you do you use your your iPad a lot, like for writing, especially? Yes, I mean, I have an original iPad Pro, twelve point nine one from however many centuries ago that is, and it, right. it's got a lot of problems. But I, I I run presentations from it, I do workshops in it, and a lot of the time that I'm into writing, mostly with an external keyboard, but actually quite a lot lately somehow on the glass. I mean, uh, the stupid thing in Facebook, in Safari on my iPad, if I am entering text, it puts a second space after every word. Not in any other app or any other thing. So it's not exactly conducive to fast typing. Right. But the number of times it's been the thing I needed to get something done. Uh, yeah, I love that machine, even with its its faults. And I will right. hang on to it. 
Have you tried the trackpad support with your current iPad Pro? I'm, I'm not even sure that it works with it, because I remember try, thinking um, about trying it when uh, it first came out as an accessibility thing, and it just didn't really appeal to me. I, I noticed you were saying that you're using it more just then, and that, that, that interested me. I've assumed that I wouldn't, but now you're just making me more tempted to try. I do think there's a big difference between trying to pair like a separate magic trackpad with an iPad and using that. I, f- like I did that too, and I found that less natural and useful than just having one actually just built in right there on the keyboard that you can just kind of yeah. put your fingers down to to scroll a little bit. It's, d- it's definitely more useful built in than having it separate. So, Actually, I'd be very curious to know whether the developer of uh, Better Touch Tool will do a version for that. You know, the Mac OS app that lets you transform your yeah. trackpad. If hopefully or fingers crossed they'll do that for the ipad i don't know if they'd be able to create you know system-wide manipulations oh no you're right yeah sandboxing that's true oh well so that's the only thing i will say the trackpad is definitely small i have the 11 inch ipad pro and it is definitely small (laughs) especially if you have a a recent macbook pro where the trackpad is like a mile wide This is actually wide enough. It's just not very tall. You know, it's only just about maybe an inch and a half tall. So it's definitely a small trackpad. So don't, uh, you know, it's not spacious. If you have the 12.9, it might be different. So anyway, the keyboard does feel great. I will say typing on it, uh, it feels like a magic keyboard, you know, as opposed to the fabric folio keys. So that's definitely nice. I do miss the screen brightness and keyboard brightness bu- buttons. I know Andrew touched on that and we talked on it last week, but you know, even just changing the brightness of the iPad screen itself, it really feels like there should be a key for that or at least a function on the keyboard. Of all the things that the trackpad does, the dock maybe being the second worst, accessing the control center from the top right corner is br- pretty awkward. Uh-huh. Yeah, because you yeah. can't, sometimes throwing the cursor up to the right corner will invoke it. I'm trying to do it right now and I'm, getting it like one out of five times and then like getting it just over the battery and Wi-Fi icon to actually click it and bring it up is a little strange and uh, clicking and dragging the slider for brightness up and down as opposed to just getting your finger and moving it. That's not super natural. So yeah, I'll be curious to see if they optimize for more trackpad stuff in iOS 14 and later. This episode is sponsored by Mint Mobile. We did a review of the iPhone SE, and it's a great phone at a great value. And I have to tell you, the only way to get a new iPhone SE is to pair it with Mint Mobile as your carrier of choice. It's the first online-only wireless company. Right now, Mint Mobile is offering you something that no other provider can. It's their 15 plus 15 deal. 15 bucks a month for the new iPhone SE and 15 bucks a month for Mint Mobile service. And they're both delivered straight to your doorstep. So think about it. A brand new iPhone SE, the great value, A13 processor, great camera, all the things you love about it, with Mint Mobile service starting at just 30 bucks a month together. By eliminating the cost of traditional retail and going online only, Mint Mobile passes on the savings to you. Every Mint Mobile plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text, plus crazy fast 4G LTE. Switching is easy. You can keep the same number you have now or get a new phone number and transfer all your contacts. So stop overpaying for wireless and get premium service, super fast data, unlimited talk and text for a fraction of the cost with Mint Mobile. To get your new iPhone SE with Mint Mobile service, each for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash Apple Insider. 
That's mintmobile.com slash Apple Insider. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash Apple Insider. So speaking of future iOS features, something actually broke just today and that a feature may be coming to iMessage that allows you to edit your messages. Yes. And you actually had this article up on Apple Insider. So maybe you could talk a little bit about what it would actually look like uh, to edit a message there. I love this. Uh, This is the longest patent I have ever read. It's 981 pages, 200,000 words. And I was trying to count how many drawings and illustrations of different ways you would edit messages. uh, And it's impossible (laughs) because it goes up into the 80s, but it's uh, something like 80FG. So it's done 80, it's done 80, a, so 80Z and all the way around. Thousands of drawings of this. And in all this detail, it never once even alludes to the difficulty of the fact that you've sent a message, how it gets it back and then lets you edit and reinserts it for your other. It just talks about what buttons you could press and in thousands of words of details. Uh, there are lots of different varieties, really, really picky, tiny differences. But it's, it reminds me of the way you press now and you get up the options to copy. Um, you will just have an edit button in there as well. So really, it, I have typical Apple really, it would work the way you would expect to work. But it looks remarkably useful. And it was one of the most fascinating things in, in a patent. I mean, most of the patent was for some reason describing very familiar things. Like, you know, when you, you can send a message to somebody and uh, you can have exploding fireworks behind right. if you choose. There's things of uh, what they call impact effects, how you can use those, but also how you can use them um, more readily, more easily. It's all about uh, cutting down the number of buttons and things to press for it. So familiar things in newer ways, then this stuff about editing messages, and then right in the middle of editing messages, suddenly there's a reference to editing handwritten messages and it goes on about those as well it's just fascinating stuff in there and i love the fact that a message it's like the shortest line you ever write but apple does a book about it's all this detail it's just riveting stuff i mean it it really hurt my head after a bit but fascinating (laughs) stuff now i think i did see that the recipients would be able to see the editing history is that accurate I'm not sure. There's a thing they call a transcription list that talks about who sees what. And some of the drawings definitely show multiple versions of things. So I believe so. I think this is one of these things that when we see it demonstrated at a keynote, it's going to be so obvious. It's when it's described in in patent ease that uh, it just buckles your head for (laughs) it. But um, if you couldn't, see what somebody had done, um, I would be concerned about it. One thing I didn't actually mention in the feature because I, I couldn't lock it down to prove it in time. Um, there was a story about four or five years ago that WhatsApp was going to bring in editing. And as far as I can tell, they still have them. This is really complicated stuff. And there's Apple working away on it. That's interesting. Well, yeah, I would love to see it in iOS 14. And in addition to editing, Please, Apple, allow to mark an iMessage unread. <laughs> that, even before editing, I would I would hope for. There's so many times where I've read a text and then didn't respond in the moment and forgot. 
and it just goes into the ether and then i get um angry text a couple days later like hey why didn't you respond ah i think we're learning something here about you it's not a fault of i mean it's just you're not efficient enough and i think with the control center clearly it's not the ipad it's your finger that's what it is oh wait a minute no no i'm usually very on top of my iMessage, but there's you know sometimes when you get four or five iMessages coming in from different people. Yeah. And then you have, you know, these like five unread conversations and you, you tap through just quickly to see what each one is about and you kind of prioritize in your head which one you need to answer first and you do. And then you just forget, well, how many did I just click? You know, it's, listen, it's complicated. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a first world problem, but yeah. Yes. <laughs> Mark unread and editing messages would be highly desirable. We'd love to see that. <laughs> In addition to that, that may be coming, we actually have some new features that will be coming in iOS 13.5. That beta was released just today. And there was some features about the COVID-19 exposure notification, which I'd love to get to in a second, talking about you know different countries' policies on that. Uh, but also group FaceTime. I thought this was an interesting change. Um, if you do group FaceTime, you know that uh, whenever someone's talking, FaceTime will focus on that person's video and make it kind of full screen for you. And they'll be adding a feature where you can disable that. And so kind of all the windows of the people's video that you're seeing will stay the same size regardless of who's talking, which, you know, I'd be curious in in your experience with Zoom calls now, mm. I actually find that's how people prefer to be a part of a group video call like that where, you know, because again, it can switch sometimes sporadically if someone coughs or sneezes, you know, tries to focus on that sound. And I actually find myself going to that gallery view in Zoom where you just see all the videos at once and it doesn't necessarily focus on one speaker all the time. Is that the default in Zoom by chance? Because I've realized I'm doing that as well. And I like the uh, the growing and shrinking mm. thing, except when, as you say, uh, it comes up because someone has moved or something. I find that quite distracting. I, I leap to them. What are they going to say? And right. nothing comes. <laughs> it's the drama in me. Right. But, yeah. I think when someone is presenting someone, you know, maybe they're sharing the screen or trying to show something visual, then yeah, I definitely go to that. Let me focus on the speaker type view. But I don't know again most about you, but most Zoom calls that I've been a part of, it's just everyone talking. Yeah. And when everyone's just talking, there's not really a reason to have someone's video big, everyone else small. And, you know, it just helps have everyone so you can see. And it's always kind of interesting to see what people do when they're listening, whether they're <laughs> texting on their phone or actually actively listening. It's always curious. Okay. Another insight into you. Okay. <laughs> you know that's interesting. It's a lesson in like a sociology to see like, all right, there's 10 people on this call. What's everybody doing right now? That's true. Yeah. Uh, they have also going to add in 13.5 the ability to enter your passcode when face id is not working uh currently you know i think andrew actually had a post about this you know you can uh, disable face id for oh yeah getting into your phone or unlocking your phone temporarily if you have a mask on you know if you're going out to the grocery store face id is not going to work with a mask you can just have it default to putting in your passcode if you don't you kind of have to make face id fail a couple times and then it prompts mm. for the passcode and so in ios 13.5 it's going to allow uh, for you to enter your passcode quickly uh, after Face ID does not recognize you and you won't have to go through that repeated failure of Face ID uh, to get that up. So that'll be a useful feature, especially during this time. Have you found that? Have you gone out with a mask at all? And 
Uh, I was just thinking as you said it, I quite often have to enter the passcode into my iPhone because I have it at a funny angle on my uh, nightstand and things. And it's not that long a wait before you get to type in, but I guess it does add up actually. So I like the sound of this, but it hadn't entered my head as being a problem. Um, clever solution then. Speaking of, of COVID-19, again, it's Oh, all of the news. Again, obviously a lot of stuff out there. But yeah. Apple actually released its first beta of the Exposure Notification API. Again, this is all together with the contact tracing and trying to build this map of people who have been diagnosed with COVID-19, who may have been exposed, and preemptively notifying you if you have been in close proximity to someone who is now diagnosed or maybe have been exposed. And it would be working through Bluetooth for contact tracing and Bluetooth will be communicating with devices kind of in the background as you are around other iPhones and Android phones because this is a joint effort between Apple and Google. And so Apple released uh, the first beta of this exposure notification. Again, there's nothing out or available yet. Uh, the APIs are out there and Apple is you know allowing developers to create apps for this API, but soon Apple might actually build it into iOS. And so it's not actually another app or service you need to download. And I know over there in the UK and Europe, you guys are having some different uh, yeah. feelings about this. So what's going on over there? Uh, the UK and France in particular have decided that uh, Apple and Google stuff is not private enough and they want to go through their own route, which is actually demonstrably and very clearly less private than the Apple and Google one. So there's a lot of very unhappy people here in the in the UK. I One of the reasons is you just said Apple have put this out now. It's with developers now. Both uh, the UK and Britain are talking about, excuse me, the UK and Britain, UK and France are talking about having their solutions start to come out in the coming weeks. So uh, end of May for France, possibly later for Britain. Uh, and there is a general perception in the UK, at least, uh, that government technology is poor. We have a track record of so many projects that launch late, don't work, go over budget and things. And right now, I tried to follow this up. Uh, I mean, I love the NHS. It's a deeply important part of the UK. So when they were advising what seems to me to be the poorer choice, I obviously tried to contact them to get them comments. And the NHS said, you should really talk to the government about this. So, OK, I took the hint, went to the government <laughs> department. Government department said... Now, actually, you should really talk to our specialist technology group, NHSX. Uh. <laughs> and they gave me the email link, and the email link didn't work. It bounced back with no such email address. This is the standard of technology that we are actually used to in the UK. So uh, our faith in this system is somewhat poor. But actually, it's weirdly, just when you said that about um, whether Apple would include this in iOS... I, I'm sure there's no way Apple is going to release a special UK version of iOS 13 point something. It's going to be the same everywhere. So this technology is going to be in it everywhere. I'm wondering whether people in Britain or France can choose to just ignore the national thing and contribute uh, this way through the Apple and Google one. I'd be fascinated to see what happens with that. I'd be curious. Now, I don't have a ton of knowledge on this, but I do think that you know, iPhones released in China oh, do true. have some limitations, uh, especially, you know, with certain services like Google uh, that can or cannot be mm -hmm. used over there. Uh, but again, those are third party features that have to be disabled on the iPhone. So, yeah, who knows if it's if it's baked in, but maybe 
France and the UK will make Apple have it disabled. By default, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how they would even, you know, police police that. No. But yeah, it's a little, you know, I did see that they were developing their own technology. And it's, I think, based on GPS locations of devices oh, yeah. pr- provided by carriers, right? Uh, it's using all the data. The, the security problem is that it's centralized all data from all phones going straight to this NHS uh, database and doing it in a way that drains your battery as well. And, oh. and uh, what I love is the fact is how carefully people are talking about it. Uh, NHS X, this technology group, is boasting that they had advice from GCHQ, the government communications technology experts. And GCHQ is saying, yeah, we just advised. You know, like we're nothing to do with this, um, uh, and it's just distancing from everything. For I don't know, they, uh, uh, NHSX talks about it working sufficiently well and things like this. I it just this is not going to help us. It's uh, a, a waste of time for it, and it's uh, at least a month behind everything else. So it's scary times. If the UK and France do uh, move forward with their own and launch it, is it something that you can? opt out or disable or is it just on for oh, yeah. everybody no it'll be definitely opt out it may even be opt in uh because there are big oh, questions okay. over uh how many uh, i think it's uh, some countries are saying they need 40 percent of people to use whichever one that is for it to be working so uh for the uk here they've got to persuade people that this comparatively unprivate thing that doesn't work very well and is late is worth <laughs> opting into so you know i'm really on the fence about it you can tell yeah, yeah. where this one <laughs> clearly wow well it would be interesting you know I've, here in america there's some reopening again to various levels of you know whether or not that's a good idea or not leaving it up to state governors to decide yeah. where is the uk right now on reopening or how much longer in lockdown any word on that vacillating uh we uh, we get conflicting advice but in general <laughs> it's staying locked down actually it's funny when you said that there it just made me think when apple and google announced their contact tracing thing everybody was on about their privacy stuff and now all these other countries are doing things that are less private apple and google have kind of been let off with this it's kind of oh yeah they are actually doing it right and stuff so how things changed in a couple of short weeks yeah it is interesting and and well but there's also always been even even here in america how many times the fbi or law enforcement has tried to pressure apple into you know breaking into an iphone yeah. or getting past the passcode to get information and and apple typically stands pretty firm on that and tim cook has refused many times to you know, not use back doors and not try to break it open because it opens up a can of worms Yeah, uh, and has privacy implications for everyone. So, so we'll, we'll see. We'll keep us posted. I'd be curious to see um, how the UK does moving forward. So you guys don't even have a projected date or a date that uh, lockdown is continuing until? Not one that I'd be happy telling you because I hear different dates and things. We're trying to keep it as vague as possible. And actually, I'm, I'm happy with that. Uh, the chances of uh, a second wave and things like that seem so high given uh, our death rate is uh, spectacularly high compared to some other countries. So I don't think we're in a state really to start looking at opening up just yet. Right. And now your prime minister, he's recovering, right? He's actually getting back to work? Yes, he is. Yes, I think he started just a few days ago. Very good. Well, that's great. Well, let's end with uh, an article actually you had on appleinsider.com talking about bringing Xcode to the iPad. Andrew and I kind of touched on it last week because there's these tweets from John Prosser uh, basically saying Final Cut and Xcode 
and Logic Pro that he is 100% confident that they're all coming to the iPad Pro and not uh, making a statement about what iPads will be compatible or what the minimum specs will be needed to run them. But uh, he says that they're all coming. And uh, you specifically talked about Xcode on the iPad. And so tell us a little bit about that. Well, I should say I wrote the piece, but the research was done by myself and Mike Peterson on Apple Insider. Mm. Uh, and the, the, the impetus for it was it was John Prosser's tweets, but specifically the way um, he keeps saying initially, at least, that Final Cut Pro is coming to the iPad and therefore so is Xcode. And I'm looking at this and I'm a small time developer. I'm thinking there's no possible connection between Xcode uh, coming to the iPad and Final Cut Pro coming to the iPad. Final Cut Pro is built in Xcode on a Mac, like every other app, and it's you know built out as a Mac app. If it comes to the iPad, Apple will use Xcode on a Mac and build it out as an iPad version for it. So we started looking at uh, why anybody could assume these were together, and then what would the benefits be to users and developers? And we talked to developers all over the world, actually, mm. uh, about this, uh, big ones, small ones. It's fascinating. Uh, quite a few people, I was terribly intrigued by this, said that they couldn't talk to us for secret reasons. And I even put what? this in quote marks. It was great. Uh, hello? <laughs> yes. Interesting. So, yes. Let's follow that one up. I mean, they were being very cautious, and who knows if it was even anything remotely to do with Xcode. It could just be iPad development. I don't want to over-egg this, but it was quite exciting <laughs> in the middle of all this. Uh, the ones who would speak to us, I mean, there's lots of people. I particularly want to single out Ken Case from the Omni Group because he spent a lot of time thinking on this and how it would apply uh, for users in general and also his specific things with the company. And there are loads of problems, and he was he was also saying how those problems would be solved. He and I think the summary of all developers is they do believe Xcode is going to come to the iPad. They just don't know when. And they wouldn't be surprised if Final Cut Pro or Logic came to it as well. But there's no correlation between the two. One thing that did end up I wasn't expecting was that it was pointed out to me that Apple is of course uh, supposedly dealing, um, developing uh, ARM processed Macs and uh, you know they're due out soon if that's true. You know just as they did with the Intel move there is no way they haven't got Mac OS running on ARM and they have got Final Cut Pro and Logic already I mean that huge job of getting it onto an ARM processor it's probably certainly done. So yeah. I don't know how much more there is for an iPad, but it does make sense. Except you mentioned hardware things. Everybody was telling me RAM is an issue. All sorts of stuff can't be done on the iPad now yet, but you can see how it could happen. And everybody wants it, actually. They want the idea of Xcode uh, with them on their holidays, as we were told. You know, I did uh, hear someone actually mention with the magic keyboard now for ipad having that other usb port on the magic keyboard case that you can charge your ipad with actually makes it a little more convenient if you need to charge or keep it plugged into power and then also connect maybe an iphone to the ipad using the built-in ipad port so you can develop and uh, deliver yeah. apps to you know an external iphone quickly and easily and you're not taking up that one port you can actually power charge your ipad and have a phone connected. Also, especially if you're doing Final Cut work or Logic or anything like that, you're probably going to need to be plugged into power uh, yes. even with your iPad. And and I'm really curious. You know, I was actually editing some 4K video yesterday on my 16-inch MacBook Pro, and it has the, the highest graphics card, the i9 processor, 
And man, uh, those fans really kick in. And this, even when exporting it out, you know, it takes a while. And that thing is really chugging along, just trying to do, you know, one stream of 4K footage. And so I'm very curious how an iPad Pro would deal with that kind of uh, those size files, first of all, and that, mm-hmm. you know, trying to encode stuff like that on an iPad, a fanless device. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't experience it too often, but sometimes when I'm editing the podcast on my iPad, it can get pretty warm. And I do know that that battery is going to take a hit if I'm going to be editing in Ferrite for, you know, an hour or more curious how that's going to go heat wise processor wise and time you know if you're going to export something from final cut some 4k video um you know how is that process going to look and is it going to be rock solid saving it to the files app or something (laughs) on ipad you know i'd be very curious about that exciting times yeah yeah no it is exciting i mean i definitely want it you know I, i don't by no means saying like i'd rather they not put final cut on it but also curious how it will deal with external storage maybe while editing on footage you know you can connect uh external ssd or hard drive to the ipad with the USB-C port you can access it from files even edit an iMovie off of the files from that external drive in my experience it's been a little flaky sometimes it doesn't match that media perfectly back huh? uh when you return to a project after a while yeah so we'll be curious how yeah, how rock solid that will be, uh, but definitely want it nonetheless. And so would uh, be eager to see it come out and to see a new iPad, maybe with a mini LED screen and an even more powerful processor come out late this year or early 2021 uh, that could handle all that with ease. We'll see. So actually, would you swap to that when the next iPad comes out, if it has mini LED and things, um, would you swap to I don't know how recent your iPad Pro is. I didn't get the, the brand new one with the LiDAR scanner you know once i saw that the processor was really just the recycled a12x i was like well you know again i don't do video stuff on my ipad usually it's really just audio and so that extra graphics core supposedly that's enabled on the new one not much benefit Hmm. you know same screen same form factor Uh, my battery life is just fine you know normal uh, in normal use and the magic keyboard is fine you know it works with my version so i have the 2018 uh, iPad Pro, which came out late 2018. So it's about a year and a half old. Uh, but if an iPad comes out and it somehow has an A14 XYZ or some incredible new leap in processor technology and GPU technology, uh, I might uh, I might spring for that one when it comes. And then nice. um, I'll send my old one with the Magic Keyboard case across the pond. Uh, I was just you, building you... to that. Yes. <laughs> I knew, I knew that's where you were going. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a deal. Yeah, very good. Uh, that was great. Those articles for the Xcode on iPad and all the things we mentioned are in show notes. We'd love to have you tweet at William or I with your feedback and thoughts. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes as well as commenting on the podcast post when it goes up. We'd greatly appreciate that. And if you could take a moment and give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate your support there as well. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next week.